chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 to 16. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God, and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore speak as of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to them. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Beloved, let us love one another for for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify of the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and believe on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. This time we're going to look at verses 15 to 17. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 15 to 17. The word of God reads, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it. And he who does the will of God abides forever. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. There's a strong belief today. Whether you could call it a belief or a slogan. You can have it all. We're probably living in one of the few times in history where we have so much at our fingertips. We have instant gratification. Take out our phones 
and order something and it's there the next day. So we think we can have everything. In the West, and in this generation, this is something rare. Look at across world history, you see possibly famines and wars, to particularly devastating world wars taking place within the last hundred years. But can you have it all? All too often, experience tells us something has to give. It may not initially dawn on us, but usually at the end, people turn around and say, why did I sacrifice something of less value, something of more value for something of less value? Sometimes it can be seen in people who put off having a family for various reasons. Nothing wrong with traveling the world, but sometimes people will put that off to travel the world. And I've often heard people say to me, well, why did I do that? As wonderful as it is, they cannot imagine their life without a husband and children. Now, not everybody is called to married life, but... If you are, then that is something greater. You have to say no to something, to someone, in order to say yes to something else. It's going to be seen in examples like career versus family. How often, if you want to get up the ladder in your job, you perhaps have to say no to family, family events. It's so important to have our priorities right. There's a somewhat of a joke, but if you ask a child, do you want the ice cream now or do you want the ice cream later? They'll say both. They want it now, they also want it later. But as you grow up in life, you realize you have to say no to something, to say it. And the thing is, when it comes to the world, as we see in this passage in 1 John, if we say no to Christ, we're saying yes to the world, and vice versa. Can you have the world, and all that the world offers, and all the lust, and all the things it promises, and yet embrace Christ. Is it consistent? It may seem like an obvious question. But I pray it probes into your heart. That thing, that sin you are toying with, dear Christian. Is it consistent with your walk? And many in the Western church walk as if it's consistent to have all the world offers, be obsessed with all the world's celebrities, and there is Christian liberty, of course, but to be obsessed with it, to, to follow it, to embrace it, to, to cling to the world, and yet claim to cling and embrace Christ. Many live, many live like this. 
they may, if you ask them, say, no, no, I don't believe that. But does the way you live show forth this reality? We're going to look at this verse under five headings. Number one, we're going to look at the cosmos or the world. Number two, the command. Number three, the condition. Number four, the comparison. Number five, the cost. Number one, the cosmos. What is the world referred to here? And whenever we look at scripture, we need to be very, very careful. Do not love the world. What is this speaking of? What world is this speaking of? And the why I say this is we are told in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, we are told to imitate Christ. Imitate him. Follow him. We know from John 3.16, God so loved the world. Is there a contradiction here perhaps? No. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In different contexts, world can be different things. We read earlier in 1 John chapter 4, where the world is obviously something negative. Talks about in chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. It's seen as a negative thing. Something to be rejected. But at the same time, we're told to love the world in John 3.16. It's very careful. It's very important that we don't say that the world always means the same thing, but it does not. Sometimes it can mean the, the physical world, the universe. Sometimes it can mean the saved world or the lost world or everyone in the world. So you have to be very careful with the context. The second great commandment says, love your neighbor as yourself. So it is a way to love the world, the people in the world. How do you love your neighbor, your lost neighbor? Share the gospel with them. One of the most loving things you can do. Do it in a caring, loving, kind way, but you care enough for their soul that you're willing for them to possibly not like you. Because you're telling them that they are a sinner. You're not doing it to be liked. You're doing it so they will come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. But what world are we to reject? Verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father. In Ezekiel 16, verse 49, it talks about the sin of Sodom. And yes, the sin of Sodom was, it was homosexuality and things were contrary to nature. But it talks about the pride of life and fullness of bread and idleness. Things that sadly characterize this generation. The pride of life. The lust 
of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, all that this fallen world, this fallen world system offers and sets before our eyes. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, Adam was the federal head of all mankind in the Garden of Eden. Before he was created righteous, upright, but sought out many inventions. He departed from God's command. He departed from God himself. God told him to not partake of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, good and evil. And what did Adam do? He followed the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The lust of the, the flesh, his eyes saw the fruit, desired to make one wise, and he had pride in his heart, Adam did. That he knew more than God, and that God was holding something perhaps back from him. It is arrogant to think you know more than God. That you are wiser than God. The fallen world, the product of this rebellion. Because in Adam all die. So that anything that comes from the world and not from the Father is contrary to him. Anything that originates... In a fallen, sinful world that thinks it knows better than God. Has its origin in darkness. Has its origin in foolishness. Has its origin in lust and pride. The one in which rebellion against him. Do we want to love that fallen world? The kingdom of darkness. And if you've been born again. You've been delivered from that. If you've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus, you've been delivered from that. Number two, the command. There's a command here. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. We have a command here from God. God Almighty. Jehovah, Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, says to you, do not love the world or the things that are of the world. This is not just John the Apostle. Sometimes we can look at the New Testament and think, isn't this great literature? And sadly, a lot of commentaries today sometimes treat it like this. This is God's holy and infallible word. Yes, John the Apostle was used. It talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that the scripture was breathed out by God, Theonustus. God breathed out his word. He carried it along. Holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It's a miraculous process we will never understand. But this is the word of God. It is a command from God himself. And this must be stated. Because we live in a world that hates the idea of orders. Of commands. Of commitments. We're commitment phobic. We want to see the exit signs. 
at every stop. It's one of the reasons why people get married later and later in life. We want a way to escape. It's a tragedy. But do not escape this. This is a command from God. Don't love the world. We want in our Christian life, perhaps, unfortunately, maybe an escape door to be there. That if we aren't quite getting our joy from the Lord, that we keep our idols, some of them around. We don't quite get rid of everything sinful, perhaps, when we're first converted. It takes more and more of us falling on our faces to see that this is heinous. It promises us joy and fails miserably to deliver. The world, this fallen world, promises much. And all it gives long term is misery. It gives you some fleeting joy here and there. I remember prior to my conversion, brief moments of what I might have called joy under the influence of various things. But I was mostly miserable. Mostly miserable. Ever since coming to Christ, there's been a joy and a peace in my heart that I cannot describe in words. This is not a suggestion, brethren, here. At the same time, for here's your best life. Here's how to be happy here and now. And yes, if you follow this and you love this, you will be filled with joy and peace and you will have purpose, but you don't come to God for purpose and meaning. You come to God for who he is. And because even if, even if he promised you nothing, even if he promised you nothing but damnation in hell, we should still have the attitude of he is worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be praised simply for who he is. He goes beyond that. He says to sinners, come to me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. People have sinned against him, and he's given unmerited mercy towards those <coughs> sinners who will come to him in repentance and faith. This love, which we are not to do, is not to love a world of lust. There are so many things on televisions and, and dramas and things like this which glorify lust. I remember sometimes there'd be soap operas on the television growing up. Things that my mother would watch and I think still watch, unfortunately. But they would almost put in a positive light somebody leaving their spouse and going to marrying another and saying, oh, I just fell out of love with this person. It's a glorifying lust. Brethren, if you put these things in front of your eyes enough, you will become desensitized to it and you will begin to hate it less and less. We are to hate lust and how do you know you are lusting? You are dissatisfied with what God has given you. You want more. You're not happy with what this is. Perhaps you've prayed for a job and God has given it to you. Praise the Lord. But as soon as you get into it, what happens? Complaints 
gripes in your heart. And you, you kind of go, well, he has got it much better than I do. That is lusting after something else. You're not satisfied. If you're satisfied in the fountains of living water, you won't lust for anything else. You'll have compassion and you'll feel terrible for the people who don't have this living word. Not only that, you will want them to know this God of glory. Broken and loving those in bondage. It's quite a difficult balance, is it not? We're to love that world out there in this sense. We want them to come to Christ. We show love, but we do not take pleasure in their sinful life. And the world will see that as hating them. Hating, at the same time, lust. In our own heart, in our world, we are to be at war with it. And I mean spiritual war. I mean on our knees war. I mean surrendering to Christ war. That he would fight the battles for you. But we have a command here. Not a suggestion. If someone said to you, love not your wife. Love not your husband. What does it mean? It means to reject them. And that would be something horrible. It would mean to turn your back on them. But are you wed to this fallen world? Are you married to it? The word of God says, don't love it, reject it. We often don't want to talk about the negative side of Christianity. But there's a sense in which it's not negative. You're rejecting something that is inherently vile. And you're embracing something that is glorious, wonderful, and beautiful in Christ Jesus. Holiness without which no man will see the Lord. Sin always looks appealing. We must serve the Lord. Number three, the condition. The condition, there's a warning here in the middle of verse 15. The condition, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What if you are wed to the world? What if you do love this world? What if you slavishly serve the trends of the world? What if it defines you? As we were talking about this morning in the previous verses. What if this defines you? And again, all of sin that falls short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 7 talks about that struggle between the old man and the new man. We will sin. In fact, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us which tells us this at the end of the previous chapter of John and verse 10 we are sinners and we do sin but whom do we serve do we serve this fallen world or do we serve our master in heaven somebody might say but I'm a Christian my family 
are Protestant. We've been Protestants for generations. Or any other things that you can think of to swap this away. By wrestling with this on our knees, brethren. This is not some question to run away from. This is not some question to think, you know what? This will make me doubt. I don't like this. This is a question when you wrestle with it. And if you're truly a believer, that you'll grow in assurance. That you'll be more confident you belong to him. Do you love the world? And if you repent of those areas in your life where you still are perhaps following the fallen sinful world. And you're truly born again that you'll grow in assurance and joy and peace. And the Lord, the Lord's love will be seen more in your life. What greater joy can there be in this earth? And again, who is, Paul, who is John speaking to? Is he talking about rebels, obvious rebels? He speak, Paul speaks about that. There's some people who are obvious rebels in, in the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians. Did he say, if this is true? No, no. Put them out of the church after you follow church discipline procedures. No, he's speaking to the church, professing believers. But if anyone, this is inside, outside the church. The visible church. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whatever you may profess, we cannot claim that you can have it all. You cannot claim that we can love both the world and God. Do you love lust? Do you love rebellion? The love of the Father is not in you. If you hate lust and you hate rebellion, you hate what is contrary to him. If you love children, you hate the, those, the, the, the tactics of predators who will seek out after children. If you love the Jews, you'll hate the Holocaust. You can't love opposites. If the love... If the Father's love is in you and you truly belong to him, then praise the Lord, verses 12 to 14, describes you when it says, we talked about it this morning, write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And I, I venture to say that if John was around today and warned as much as he does in First John, what would be the response? He would be told he's not loving. He's told he's probably not kind. He would probably be called a railer. Do you love the world? Yes, we all sin. But are you wed to it? There's a difference. If we do sin, we are chastened by God because we have a loving, compassionate, merciful Father. If you're at home and you sin... And you, you're, you've, your father loves you. What does he do? If, you're, if your child is before you. And is. Cracking the window. Or something like that. What do you do? You discipline them. Why? Because you love them. You want them to be good. You want them to. Hate what they're doing. So you, you correct them. 
In the same way, if we are in union and communion with Christ, it's a loving relationship. And a loving relationship includes correction. Does God chasten you? Does he keep you on the narrow way? Number four, the comparison. Number four, the comparison, verses 16 and 17. For all this is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The comparison. There's a great chasm or gulf between the world, the fallen world, and God. Between the love of this fallen, sinful world and the love of God. They're complete opposites. You cannot have it all. And you may have people in the world, possibly at your work, possibly in school you're at, or wherever you're going. And the more you grow in holiness the more they feel like you are rejecting them. But really, you're rejecting what they love. To be in your heart, wades to this world, but claiming to be wed to Christ, it is impossible. The first commandment, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with the tablets of stone written with the finger of God. The moral law summarized down in the Ten Commandments says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me or in my presence or almost literally before my face. And to claim... To love God while serving another, while having another God, essentially, is having, it's almost the equivalent. And the scripture makes this picture of having someone else besides your spouse committing adultery before them. No other gods It's a great sin against your wife and your spouse if you do it. How much more of a greater sin for the one who's given you breath and life, given you salvation if you claim to be a Christian? You owe him everything. Even in our, again, born again believers in Jesus Christ. We can live sometimes, we can complain We can get into patterns of dissatisfaction. And we complain about what God has given us. We need to be thankful. We need to count our blessings. We need to think, how many things has God given me today? And pray to him and thank him for that. Let us not be wed to the world. Let us not be dissatisfied with what God has given us. Casting our eyes... Upon the world in a longing lust. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
Israel was seen as an unfaithful adulteress. Jeremiah chapter 3. With her idols of wood and stone. What else can we see in this great comparison between the fallen world and God? God is light. 1 John chapter uh, chapter 1 verse 5. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. But the world is full of darkness. What a great contrast. When we turn on the lights in this building... What does darkness do? Does darkness stand a chance? No, you see darkness cowering into the edge of the building and running away. There is no darkness at all in God. Darkness is the absence of light. What else is there in comparison between the two? This world, this fallen world is temporary. It is passing away, as it says in verse 17. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. If you love the world, you choose temporary over fleeting joy over eternity. You choose a temporary, a blip compared to eternity. You take a drop of water, you drop it. In the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It still does not come close to showing the gulf and the difference. Between this temporary short vapor of a life that appears for a little time. And then vanishes away. And eternity. Take all the water ever found in the universe. And it would still not come close. Would you trade one day of a bad marriage for 50 years of a great marriage? One short has fleeting joy at times. The other one is long, lasting, joyful. What a great chasm between the two. And it still does not come close to showing the difference, the foolishness between them. That's why in Psalm 14 it says, verse 1, the man who says in his heart there is no God. It says he's a fool. Eternity versus this temporary Not even joy. Not even something that gives you what it claims to give you. It fails miserably to satisfy. But we are willing to trade. And that is the nature of darkness. For men love darkness. Rather than light. Men love darkness. Think of the absurdity of that. You turn off all the lights in this building. Would you like To try and find your way out that door. Somebody offers to turn on the light. You say, no, no, it's okay. I prefer the darkness. I prefer being blind. Tripping over every chair as I try to make it from here to the door. It is absurd. And it shows the blindness of sin. 
the blindness of this world. And if you said, I can make my way to the door, and all you could hear was, ow, pain as you fall over. Say, well, I just need to turn on the light for you to see how to get out of here. The person's incredibly proud, are they not, for not accepting the help. How much more pride does it take when the Lord of glory sets before you this great comparison, this great chasm between this temporary, fallen, sinful, deceptive world system and his mercy and grace. And again, what prevents you from coming to him? Your own sinful heart. That's the only thing that will prevent anybody from coming to Christ. We talked about it this morning. Age, intelligence. These things do not prevent you from coming to Christ. The Lord is merciful. And number five, the cost. Number five, the cost. Verse 17, and the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Again, we've said before, you cannot have both. In order to embrace Christ, to grow, dear Christian, in the, in the grace and knowledge of the truth, to grow in your love for Christ, it requ- it's basically turning more and more from the lies of this fallen world system. Either, and this will happen in your, in your walk, if you ever backslide, you're saying yes to this fallen world more and more, and saying no to Christ. Which will you sacrifice? Which will you, which, which will it cost you? Will it cost you the love of this world? Or the love of God? You cannot love both. Someone claimed to be married to two women or was two girlfriends or something like that claimed, I love both. What would you think? You would not think them to be genuine. People who do that, you love you. There's no care in that. There is no love in that. To embrace Christ, to grow in the grace and knowledge of truth, to bow before him in repentance and faith, you must forsake this world and all it offers, or continue to forsake Christ. There's no middle ground, there's no, it's, it's, it's like the, the shark and the water must keep swimming in order or he will sink or swim. There's no mediating ground. For both there is a cost. And it's true. We don't bring anything to salvation. But our sin. We don't bring anything to the table. But our need for a savior. Even the faith. Is a gift of God. Lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8, 9 and 10. Talk about that. But it will cost you something. But it is something to come to Christ, to embrace. 
It costs you something of little value in comparison with eternity. Rejecting the world, the world will hate you. You will have opposition. You will have people that just won't understand. Because they love, you have to understand, they love the loss of the flesh, the loss of the eyes, and the pride of life. And they think that is wisdom. This is a great way to follow. Why won't you come here? Because they look at the Christian life, those outside the church, and they, they, they pity us. They pity us. And actually, in a sense, they're trying to rescue us from Christianity. They see it as a great fraud. Are you doing that person any service by going along with them? Do you ever notice that people in the world, they want to take you and drag you in the direction of sin? Because in their minds, they're doing what is good. Again, because men love darkness. Woe unto them they call evil good and good evil. What is seen as a virtuous cause today? Under the guise of women's rights. The ability to kill your own child in the womb. Woe unto them they call evil good and good evil. The loss of the flesh, the loss of the eyes, and the pride of life. They followed that same lie that Adam and Eve followed. They became wise in their own eyes. They became as gods, knowing good and evil. They decided what is good and what is right. In rejecting Christ, someone who rejects Christ is an object of God's wrath. John 3.36 For all eternity. And the cost is far greater. Weigh up the cost. In one scenario, rejecting the world, temporary persecution from this fallen world which will try to get you to follow them in rebellion against God. We saw it recently with the Ashes case. What did that customer want those Christians to do? They wanted them to say, oh, they're hypocrites, they're not going to follow their own Christian beliefs. I'm going to show him. Temporary persecution will come in this life. It will come. All who love Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All. To varying degrees. It may not be physical. Like in some parts of the world. We may not lose our lives. But we will suffer persecution. But that persecution should not be a cause of misery in us. The early Christians. Being brought to their death. And even in the 17th century, people like Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, some of the, the forefathers of the Reformation, the joy and peace in their hearts that they had for Christ, yet knowing they would die. 
and they were happy to do it. Are we so wed to the world that the thoughts of dying for the cause of Christ There's so many attract, attractions, allurements, things that catch our eye. And we're so comfortable today that we have difficulty saying goodbye to it. Will you reject this temporary fallen world and all its deceitful promises? And in such a way, rejecting Christ and pay for all your sins for all eternity. One is eternal torment. A debt you can never pay. And you will be required to pay every last night. But the thing about it is, if you're outside of Christ, your sins are of infinite value because they're against the one who is of infinite value. Eternity versus a temporary cost. Logically, it makes sense. So why are multitudes coming to Christ? Because men love darkness. And do we say, oh, they're, they're silly. Why don't they come? But for the grace of God, brethren, we'd be where they are. We would be in the world. We would continue in our sin. We would still love darkness if it wasn't for the grace of God I don't care whether you were raised in a Christian home or not and as wonderful as that is but do you realize what God has delivered you from and I pray that you give thanks every single day of your life that you were raised if you were in a Christian home what a great privilege that is but do you give thanks to God that he's delivered you possibly from the womb even Maybe later, maybe so young that you cannot remember it, but he has delivered you. In conclusion, what or who do you love? Do you love righteousness and hate sin? Righteousness, what is that? The law of God. When you see it, it makes your heart rejoice. This is righteousness. This is truth. Yes, I fall short. Yes, I sin, but I, I, I desire to follow after this example with every fiber of my being. And do you hate sin? This is the fruits of knowing Christ. Do you think you can love sin and Christ If you're playing with the sin of the world, if you're playing with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, as a Christian, born-again believer, it will rob you of joy. It doesn't promise anything. Don't think you can have one foot in one world and one foot in the other. Don't think you can appease everything. Now, that's not the same thing as not putting unnecessary barriers in front of the gospel. So now what I'm talking about. I am speaking here... That you do not try to be pleasing before men. Graciously, lovingly, share the truth that Christ is your Savior. And that they see that you are running. Running 
as Joseph did with Potiphar's wife, running from this fallen world and running to Christ. The love of the Father is in you. Reject this world and grow in the grace of the knowledge of the truth and embrace Christ and love him and worship him in the beauty of holiness. Amen.